we do. Premature explosion. There you go. No comment. I have a guest on the show. I know him well. Today you're going to find out a little bit about him. It is lawyer extraordinaire on the criminal side, the one and only Kenneth Edelin. Welcome to Court Radio. Thank you, sir. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning to all your listeners. Ken is with the law firm of Vanderveen, Hartshorn, and Levin. Um, we'll also take your calls. If you've got a legal issue, jump on the call early because a lot of times our callers get, a, you know, stuck on hold because the show's only an hour. Only an hour. I've been trying to negotiate for a, you know, six-hour time slot. <laughs> Imagine doing a six-hour show. Wow. Uh, I've done it. Yeah. HAT, talk radio, yeah. Yeah. All night, overnight. Overnight, yeah. You know, when, you know what people want to talk about overnight? No. Tell us. Love, Love relationships. Yeah. Oh, well, that's your specialty. Oh, my God. <laughs> talk, to, talk the person out of committing suicide once. That's a real story. Wow. But it, but that's a long shift. One thing about our guest today. Yes, sir. Bruh, you check every box. <sighs> Morehouse, Howard. Omega, that's that's it, bro. That's the, that's the that's that's the I black resume it. right there. I it. Just trying what? to do what we do. Omega Sci-Fi. Yeah. What's this? You gotta ask him. What's this? <laughs> not, don't worry about that. <laughs> what's you gotta ask him. <laughs> well, first of all, I know it ain't don't that. What you just did? Whatever, whatever that is. Every, don't mess with don't it. Hey, 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 hey. Everything ain't for everybody. That's, there's some kind of hand signal that this white Jew does not understand, okay? And Y'all got signals, too, now, I'm just I, saying. I don't know. You oh, know. hey, 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 hey. Oh, hey. Oy or something, you like know? This. It ain't for everybody to understand. All right. All right. Hey. You, make, you, you saw me defer. You got to make your meetings. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I was a Mason, so I get the, uh, you know, the secrecy There thing. you go. Yeah. Ah, you know. Come on now. <laughs> how, how were you a Mason? How's that past tense? Uh, well, I'm still a Mason, but I haven't been. Ooh, so you're not, I haven't been making my meetings. You're not a practicing Mason, <laughs> yeah. so to speak. So, so to speak. Yeah. Two one five two two seven twenty seven twenty seven. The number for court radio every Saturday morning. The number for my Philly lawyer all week long. So, Mr. Edelin, um, you began your career at the Defenders Association. I did. Um, you know, you now when I say the Defenders Association, there's really two for uh, our listeners. There's the uh, there's the Federal Defenders Association, and then there's the Defenders Association of Philadelphia, I guess it's called. And actually, they both fall under the same area uh, and the same umbrella. Um, The Defenders Association of Philadelphia is the public defender's office for the city and county of Philadelphia. The Federal Defender Organization, although under the same umbrella, is the Federal Public Defender's Office for the Eastern District of Pennsylvania. And you've been in both places. I have. I have. I was a staff attorney for both. I was six years, 96 to 02, in the city office, the county office, 02 to 08, in the federal office. Uh, and then most recently I came back, or I was back at the city office, uh, and I was chief of the major trial unit for three or four years. You knew my good friend Everett Gillison. I do indeed. He's a good brother. Doing one of my mentors. Different frat, but good dude. 
So when one you're of my mentors, one of the best in the city. When you're working in when you're working in the uh, city defender's office, okay, the public defender's office. What's what's the average caseload for a defender? So the way the office works is that it's broken down into um, complexity of the case. When you first start at the office, uh, and so you don't get to do jury trials until two and a half, three years into your stint because you need to learn the craft. You need to learn the art. You need to learn what you're doing. You have people's lives at stake. Um, and so they walk you through the process. The reason I came to the public defender's office in Philly is because back in 96, they were one of the, if not the best in the country. Um, they have a six week training program. You learn from the best, Ever Gillison being one of them. Um, and you learn how to be an attorney. You learn how to be a trial attorney. Uh, and there's a specific characteristic trait training to learn how to be a Philadelphia lawyer. <laughs> and that's what you learn at the, at the PD's office. Right. Um, and so when you start off, you're doing preliminary hearings. Uh, you progress to misdemeanor trials. You progress to juvenile. You progress, progress to felony trials, but only in front of a judge called waiver trials. And then ultimately you get to do major trials, jury trials. Uh, and so the caseload varies. Uh, if you're in the misdemeanor room, uh, you could have 40 cases on a list a day. If you're in a preliminary hearing room, you could have 40 or 50 cases on a list. If you're, wanting, if you're running the room where one of the diversion programs is in, ARD, AFD, those types of things, uh, you could have 40, 50, 60 cases. Once you start getting up to the major trial rooms uh, and the waiver trials, the felony-only trials, the caseload diminishes, but you're still overwhelmed. Uh, they're still overwhelmed. You know, the, the number of people that are getting arrested and that are coming through the system is astronomical. And the, and the PD's office, I think the last time I checked, probably handled seven out of ten every cases that come through. So you can imagine the caseload. Now, that statement seems to encourage settlements. In the civil side, we call them settlements. On and, and the, the criminal, criminal side, side, you call them pleas. You call them pleas. And... Probably most cases do plead out, um, not just because of the caseload, but obviously um, that client's place, guilty, allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 the way I the reason I say allegedly is because sometimes it makes more sense to take a probation deal than to risk going to trial. Hmm. Sometimes it makes more sense uh, if you evaluate the the strength of the Commonwealth's case. Um, you are able to determine whether or not you will likely be found guilty. And then you are facing, then you are you're at the mercy of a judge, you're at the mercy of a jury, but now you're at a sentencing and you're looking at jail time. So it makes more sense to do what you need to do to try to get back to your family, to try to continue to pro provide for your family, be productive in the community and that type of thing. Now, the average case, well, let, let me put it to you this way. Yes, sir. Wins and losses, if you try a case, state court versus federal court. Well, it, it also depends on how you define wins and losses. If you're charged with a homicide and you only get convicted of a misdemeanor simple assault, is that a win? Most would say so. Uh, but just in terms of outright not guilties across the board, the numbers are significantly higher in state court than in federal court. Uh, and part of that is the resources the feds have to put into a case. 
the amount of time they have to investigate the case, but it is also significantly attributable to they get to pick and choose their cases. What does that mean? So any number of cases that originate in Philadelphia, the feds can look at, the United States Attorney's Office, the FBI, whoever can look at and say, okay, that case I want. Why? More often than not, because they think the person who is facing the crime has information to give them about bigger crimes. But they are also able to only pick and choose the best cases. They know that the stop was good. They know that they have a strong motion or that the defense has a weak motion. And they know the likelihood of conviction, if you go to trial, is high. Not to mention the fact that they're giving out football numbers down in the feds. I mean, the time that you're facing is far more significant than what you would be facing in the city. Jury pools? Jury pools in the Eastern District. So the Eastern District is comprised of Philadelphia and the nine surrounding counties. Obviously, Philly jury pool is only from Philly. So most of those people will come to the Philly courts, be it criminal or civil, which means a Philadelphia defendant, Philadelphia resident, is now looking at a jury pool from the other eight, nine surrounding counties. Unfortunately, more often than not, they don't look like the defendant. And that, you believe, affects the outcome? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Because of racial makeup, because of income makeup, because of your life experiences and your interactions. Racial bias. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, um, yeah. You talked about them having money to spend on um, putting their case together. The feds have more money than the state does. Yes, sir. Resources. More resources. More people. um, You know, unfortunately, more and or better educated law enforcement. You know, what you will find is a lot of the federal agents, particularly in the FBI, also have legal degrees. Um, So they're able to evaluate cases. They're able to make sure things were done properly ahead of time before they decide to take the case, which, again, helps them in their conviction rate, helps them in the number of pleas that they get because the the cases are better prepared. They're better prepared from the prosecution side to go to trial. Now, let's segue. You're now private counsel. Yes. And you have, I would presume, you would have more resources now to prepare your case? Well, we have, we have resources. We have access to uh, investigators. We have access to mitigation specialists. We have access to experts. Um, but as you well know, in the private sector, a lot of that also is reliant upon what the client and or his family, her family, are able to do. Uh, so, yes, while we have a machine and, and that we're able to do any number of things, we are also partly um, constrained by what the families are able to do. Hmm. Isn't that maybe, you know, when we talk about the United States having the best criminal, the best justice system in the world, um, I think about the fact that there's a disproportionate amount of people, uh, those who use your services, as obviously, as well as those who use the Defenders Association services, there's a disproportionate amount of money that the parties can bring to bear. And that seems to affect the outcome. That certainly seems um, to play a part in the outcome. It, it serves to play a part in who gets charged and how the prosecution's case 
is prepared and presented, what levels the playing field is the attorney that you have on your side and how he or she is able to present you and your case to the fact finder, be it a judge or a jury. And I would suggest that's what separates our system and what makes our system um, superior to anybody else's system because you have that advocate, you have that zealous advocate, you have somebody who can be your mouthpiece, you have somebody who is invested in you, who invests the time, uh, the resources, and the effort to find out who you are, what your what your circumstances is or were, uh, and convey that properly to the fact finder. When you have a zealous advocate. Absolutely. When mm-hmm. you don't, like, you know, sometimes we see in the Defenders Association um, and in private and maybe even more in private in the private sector where attorneys are ill prepared. They, they it's kind of like, you know, they're going through the motions and they miss things. How often does the appellate courts step in on these cases where there is an allegation of, in you know, in a. Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Ineffective assistance of counsel. How often does the appellate court step in and do and have a redo? Very rarely. Um, the appellate courts may hear the case, um, and I haven't checked the numbers in a while, but I'm sure the number of cases that get overturned or sent back is certainly less than 10 percent, probably less than 5 percent. So the importance is to do it right the first time. The Absolutely. importance is to have the advocate the first time. Uh, because the likelihood that you're coming back on appeal is slim to none. How often, what's your percentage of cases that are resolved by a plea agreement versus those that actually go to trial to verdict? Most of the cases get resolved by plea. Um, But it's important, again, you're able to get a case resolved that's in the best interest of your client because of the time you spend with the client, because of the time you spend with the client's family, because of the time you spend and invest learning who that person is. So you can present that holistic picture to the prosecutor. So you can help the prosecutor see and evaluate the actual value of the case. Um, the prosecutor's unfortunate job and or Tact seems to be just get convictions, charge them with everything, throw it at the wall, see what sticks. So it's up to your advocate, your mouthpiece, to explain why, no, that's not this case. That's not this person. Let me let you know who he is, let me, or she is, let me know, let me let you know what those circumstances are so we can actually come to something that makes sense for everybody. Has social media changed your job? Makes it uh, incredibly harder. Why? Because we have, as a society, gotten to the point where we want to tell everybody everything. Mm. We want to show everybody everything. When you say you got the right to remain silent, that includes you should shut up on social media, too. You should always shut up. Shut down. (laughs) (laughs) You should always shut up. Whenever you are confronted or your family is confronted with law enforcement and Uh you are the target um, of their inquiry, Uh your answer should be no comment, call Ken. Okay. Pretty simple pretty, pretty instruction. Easy, right. You'll be surprised how many of our clients don't do that. Don't do that. Really? Name, yeah. date of birth, address at most. After that, no comment. Call Ken. That's on either side. Public defender, private sector, just the civil just, side. The civil um, side. Yeah. You know, I'm representing a client who's got a significant uh, injury, brain injury, or a spinal injury. And all of a sudden, I see pictures of like rock climbing in, in on Facebook, 
And then they go on to say, well, you know, I, I really – that was just a posed picture, and I really had a hard time. But none of that comes out. They don't look and, good. and then the defense, <laughs> the, they, they grab that picture, and they hold it up to the jury, and all the jury sees is that bad kind of image. Looks bad. And then the client is backpedaling to explain how it's not really what it seems to be. None of that needed to happen if they didn't put the picture up in the first instance. I don't get it. And it, it, it's also important to, to remember when you're charged with a crime, each crime has certain elements. The first element is who did it. Therefore, your identity is an issue. So if you're on social media in the same clothes that they say the crime was committed, if you're on social media with all of your tattoos showing yeah. and that's part of the identification, if you, you know, if you're on social media social media holding guns doesn't help bragging about this that and the third right there's no way that can help you right that only hurts you yeah so um all right well, shut up right yeah <laughs> tip 1 shut up 215-227-2727 if you've got a legal issue or question feel free to give us a call if you want to jump in on this conversation with Kenny Kenny Edelin please do so was there you know, I don't know the answer to this question. And, I, and I, we've known each other for years and years. Absolutely. In a very, you know, in, in an intimate fashion that Ken worked for me. Really? Um, Many moons ago. Yes. And I've actually been on the radio yes. uh, once or twice back then. Was he a good employee? Very good. Right. Nothing bad to say. There you go. Cause yeah. I'll, uh, but I also want to get invited back. <laughs> <laughs> no, Ken was with me for a number of years. Um, and so, but I don't know what was the motivating factor for you to become a lawyer? How, like what started your path in your career, your, your path of, of going to law school? So once I graduated from Morehouse, I went back to DC where my mom lives. Um, and I worked there for three or four years. One of my main jobs was that I was a counselor and actually ran a couple group homes for pre adjudicated youth. They had been arrested, but they had not been adjudicated guilty or not guilty yet. Um, and one of my functions was to take them back and forth to court. And I had to give a report to a judge about how they were doing in the facility. Um, and quite frankly, I was frustrated at how they were being treated. I was frustrated with the process. I was frustrated with, um, you know, black and brown boys um, getting railroaded, getting entangled in the legal system and not being able to get out. Um, so I could fuss and whine and cry on the outside, or I could get inside and try to do what I could do to help. I went to law school to be a public defender. That was the whole reason I went. Um, and it was the best decision I've ever made. Back in 96, uh, when I came out of law school, the two best public defenders office were either Philly or DC. I had worked in Philly for three, I mean, in DC for three to four years. So I decided to try Philly absolutely the best decision I ever made. I grew up in the Philadelphia Public uh, Defender's Office. I grew up in the Criminal Justice Center down there at 13th and Phil, but I learned how to be a lawyer there. Did you ever get burned out? You I always get burned out. Yeah. And, and what it, as, as a supervisor and even as an older attorney, what I always try to explain to the younger attorneys is you have to have an outlet. You can't just do this because you will get burned out. You are encountering trauma every day. Uh, I don't know the specific, I don't know if it's secondhand trauma is 
initial traumas, but you have to find productive ways to get a release. You have to be able to disconnect. You have to be able to turn off. You have to be able to step away because if you don't, you are subjecting yourself to harm, number one. And then because of that, you're doing a disservice to your family and you're doing a disservice to your clients. You're not able to represent them. I met Everett uh, when I was working in the Nutter administration. We would talk a lot about the public defender's office, and what you said rings true. This is like a zealous camaraderie. There's this everybody, they, they wanted to do it for a specific reason, for what you said. There, yes, was, there was a need to go in there and, and, and do the right thing, uh, the fight for the little person. There was That that was always a part of it with him. Keir, Keir Bradford Gray. Absolutely. Uh, that seems to be a part of your ilk, people that go into that office. And certainly for those Warriors that, for the cause. For, certainly those that do well. Uh-huh. Certainly those that last a while. You know, obviously there's a population of people that come to get the experience so they can then cache that into one of the big law firms. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, you're not really going to court. You're not trying anything. But So if you can come to them and say, I have this trial experience, that makes you more marketable. Dean, if you see that on a resume to Philadelphia Public Defender's Office, do you go, okay, that's, yeah. that guy's good or that person's... You know, there is a... There are many differences between what I do in the civil arena and what Ken does in the criminal. Mm. Um, But you know that they know their way around the courtroom. They know how to ask a question. Mm. Um, They know what not to ask. And so teaching somebody who has has criminal experience the differences in civil is an easier task when you are a trial lawyer and you have that criminal experience. So, yes, absolutely. And – as Ken said, there's really no better place to have gotten the experience than the Philadelphia Public it's Defender's good Office. Good training ground. Yes, absolutely, 100%. And, and one of the most important things you learn is how to listen. So, yes, you know how to ask a question and you know how to structure a case, but you also have to listen for the answer. You mm-hmm. can't be tied to a paper. You can't be tied to a set of questions because then you're not being effective. And, and what I try to explain to the younger attorneys is you're having a conversation. You're having a conversation with the intent and the interest of hearing what the other person is saying because that is how you pick through the case. That is how you get a fuller picture. That is how you understand what is actually going on so you can then communicate it to the fact finder. All right, folks always have this question, so I'm going to have to ask it. Yes, sir. The evidence points to your client being guilty. Mm. You're pretty sure your client's guilty. How does that affect your representation of that client? It doesn't. Why? Because I'm, my job is not to pass a moral judgment. My job is to protect legal rights. My job is to make sure law enforcement did what they were supposed to do. My job is to make sure the judicial system does what it is supposed to do. My job is to communicate who you are, what your circumstances are, to the fact finder and hold everybody else accountable to make sure they did what they were supposed to do. My job is to also make sure you stand, you understand uh, the strengths and weaknesses of your case, the strengths and weaknesses of, of what law enforcement will say and give you the information to evaluate how you want to proceed, whether or not you want to go to trial or whether or not you want me to get a deal. I've had any number of people say, Ken, yes, I did that but what they're asking for me in terms of time is too much. And I say, all right, well, then I'll lace my boots up. 
Right, because I guess we're we're you're digging into any mitigating circumstances that may be at issue, even though. Well, you, sometimes the best thing a good trial attorney can do is realize the weaknesses in his case, right, and um, focus on the things he can make a difference right. on. You have such to, as mitigation. mitigation you have to recognize the weaknesses because you're not doing your client a service if you're not telling them what that is. The attorney-client privilege is real. The stuff you know stays with you. It's real and it's absolute. You cannot violate that. And it's not admissible in court. You can't be called back later for something that that person did because whatever happened between the two of you has to stay with you. Absolutely. No matter what. And there's an even uh, a greater significant point in that it doesn't matter if mom, dad, um, boss is paying my fee for you. Mm. Our conversation can't go to them Mm. unless you tell me I can tell them. So Which I've had is, any number of cases, I've had any number, and I apologize for cutting you off, but I've had any number of times where client, where I am in the firing line from parents, from employers, from whoever, because client has told me, yes, I did this, but you can never tell my folks. A lot of times this happens with sex abuse cases or child abuse cases and that type of thing. Yes, I have this sickness. Yes, I've done this. Yes, do what you can to get me the best deal. All the while, mom and dad are saying, no, it can't be Johnny that did that. I know Johnny. I didn't raise him like that. So I know he's not doing that with children. And I have to just Mm -hmm. take And so everybody hates me. Right. Mm -hmm. Right? Because I can't tell them that. Why are you forcing my son to take a deal? Why are you forcing my daughter to take a deal? Why are you saying he needs to plead? The stuff you know, man. You guys sound like you could use some therapy yourselves. The trauma. Oh, absolutely. The, the, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. And you again, spoke about the trauma. Yeah. yeah. And public that goes, defender. Mm-hmm. That goes back to needing positive and constructive outlets. What's not your outlet? Yeah. What's your outlets? I got four kids. Yeah. So he's a, and just he's had a, one baby grandchild. He's so. a runner. <laughs> he's a runner. I, I get to run around and live vicariously through them and, and enjoy what they do. And I yeah, get to turn my phones off, turn the TV off, turn the internet off. Listen to music and smoke a cigar. Nice. All right, line three, Mia from West Oak Lane. Mia, welcome to Court Radio. Mia? Hello, Mia. Where is going? Yes. All right, there you go. Uh, folks, if you want to give us a call, 215-227-2727 is the number for Court Radio, the number for My Philly Lawyer, and we'd be happy to talk to you today. We'll be right back in two minutes. I'm Dean Weitzman. If you have a history of using chemical hair straighteners and have been diagnosed with uterine or endometrial cancer, call My Philly Lawyer now at 215-227-2727. Frequent use of chemical hair relaxers can double the risk of uterine and endometrial cancer. If you've been affected, we will fight for you. Call 215-227-2727. My Philly Lawyer, when winning matters most. When we say winning matters most, we mean it. My Philly Lawyer just helped secure an $80 million victory for a client suffering from a defective medical product. Whether it's a motor vehicle, workplace, or medical malpractice injury, My Philly Lawyer gets results. If you've been injured and want aggressive, thoughtful, thorough representation, call My Philly Lawyer first. Philly's legal champions, 215-227-2727. My Philly Lawyer, when winning matters most. I grew up here, went to school here, raised my kids here, 
I know Philly, and Philly knows me. I started My Philly Lawyer because if you've been injured, your lawyer matters, and choosing someone local matters. It matters to the insurance company, it matters to the jury, and most importantly, your lawyer matters when it comes to getting results. If you've been injured, call us now, 215-227-2727. My Philly Lawyer, when winning matters most. I'm Dean Weitzman. If you have a history of using chemical hair straighteners and have been diagnosed with uterine or endometrial cancer, call My Philly Lawyer now at 215-227-2727. Frequent use of chemical hair relaxers can double the risk of uterine and endometrial cancer. If you've been affected, we will fight for you. Call 215-227-2727. My Philly Lawyer, when winning matters most. Legal answers. Here's more court radio with your host, Dean Weitzman. Good morning and welcome back. I'm Dean Weitzman, your host of Court Radio. Every Saturday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. right here on 100.3 WRMB. And classics one <laughs> and IG. I've been looking at your IG. Man. IG, yeah, yo, yeah your boy. IG is fire. It's, it's, it is fire. You're getting yeah. You're just getting good, man. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that reminds me. What's that? Next week. Mm. Next week we have a guest on um, who is Khalil Marcano. Khalil's starting a brand new podcast called. Wealth and Wheels. Well, Wealth and who, Wheels. Who, who do you think well, is guess, yeah. mm. season one, episode one? <laughs> Which wheels? All of yours or just? <laughs> I'm not going to give too much away because next week is a show devoted to that. But I will tell you this, folks. Next Saturday, August 19th, rolling out season one, episode one on YouTube. You will find out things about Dean Weitzman that you never knew before. I'm a new edition of Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. <laughs> you know, I'm, and I've known Dean for a minute, and a I'm minute. sure I'm going to be surprised. I don't know. TMI? Yeah. I mean, maybe some I, stuff you don't want to know. I, I, listen, <laughs> all I can tell you is that they, they had 10 guests for, I think, 10 guests for season one so far in, oh, the, yeah. can. Okay, in the can. But it was evaluated and determined that the... Episode with me should be the lead episode. Look at this guy about to go reality TV on us. Listen, if you haven't if you haven't joined in on my TikTok channel, then you're missing out on a piece because I'm also answering legal questions there right. um, that I think come up time and time again. Um, and so I am answering legal questions on TikTok, but also giving you a little glimpse into the life of Dean White's. You know, and after last night, I came in last night after a hip-hop concert. And Happy birthday, hip-hop, by the way. 50 yes, years. 50 years, 50 years of hip-hop. 50 years old. August 11th, 1973. It was a lot of cops out there because there was a bunch of accidents. Oh. And one thing you can see on her, uh, Dean's TikTok is what to do with a car accident. Like, you can't say it enough. What you need to do. Oh, you saw that TikTok episode. Yes. 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 Yeah. I saw that too. I did what you need to do when you get into an accident. It's so mm -hmm. important. And it's, it's simple. 
Yeah, but you know we're not going to tell you on on the air because you should go to my TikTok channel. It and is my Philly lawyer TikTok, and you'll get all the answers you need to life's problems. Two things: you been getting any calls from folks riding on buses lately? You know, Sep is having a bad. Yeah, they're having a bad too. I'm like ridiculous. I've like, never seen this like this before. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, we we actually tried to schedule some depositions of Septa drivers on mm. our cases. And there was a day where they said, oh, we're not doing anything on that day because everybody's in training. You know, That's so right, because they had to yeah. go into a mandatory training because the federal government is like, what are you guys doing? What's going yeah. on down there? Yeah. You know what I mean? You're taking our money. You need to be safety to our standards. We're actually, we have a trial coming up against SEPTA uh, involving a gentleman who was... Um, having a uh, an interaction with a drug on the bus and had lost his mind uh, and yeah. he he's he f- kind of falls out of the bus and is looking for his phone that dropped under the wheel of the Ooh. bus the septa operator looked at him under the bus and still pulled off and crushed his arm under the wheels of the bus, despite the fact that the driver saw the whole thing unfolding, never called the police, never called an ambulance, and just pulled off. Yeah. SEPTA. So, uh, SEPTA's got some real issues lately. Southeastern Pennsylvania yeah. Transit Authority. Um, so, How's the uh, hair relaxer thing coming But forward? let me just say one more thing about <laughs> more SEPTA. I, I just can't say this enough. They are a Commonwealth entity, and because of that, they're covered under the Commonwealth um, immunity statute, but also the Commonwealth cap on damages. Mm -hmm. And so they could crush my client's arm, roll over his arm, and the maximum that they'll ever have to pay is $250,000. How do you change that? How do you change that? Folks, you got to go to your politicians and tell them that cap is re- is over 40 years old, getting on almost 50 years old. And that what was $250,000 50 years ago is not today. And yet they have no courage to raise those limits. It's actually being heard in September by the Supreme Court for the second time in um, about 15 years where that cap is being looked at as being unconstitutional. And if the court finds it's unconstitutional, they have the authority to eradicate it um, and just leave it wide open and then force the government to come in and establish a new cap. But right now, uh, it's go to your politicians. But, you know, the Supreme Court said to to the politicians years ago when they had this issue they said, we're not going to change it. It's the politicians who need to change it. But we, we kind of feel like it's unconstitutional, but we're going to make the politicians do their job. Well, guess what? 10, 14, 15 years later, the politicians still have not done their job. Because New, New Jersey Transit doesn't have a cap. No cap in New Jersey. And guess what? New Jersey Transit hasn't gone bankrupt. They're you know, great. It's, it's, they're fine. Uh, they're, the fear that this is going to like drag down local governments, if you look across the bridge to New Jersey, there's the same governments over there. Nobody has a cap and nobody's going bankrupt. Well, they'll argue and say, you don't have the uh, the population that we have or the traffic concerns or the congestion, right? Is that what they'll say? And, and, and They may. And you know what? God made insurance companies for a reason. And so states and local entities can purchase insurance just like you and I can. So this is a state legislative issue? It's a state legislative issue. It's our state senators and our state representatives who have to pull 
the trigger and look at this and have the courage to tell the uh, folks who may be upset with them, hey, this, if, you're in, if you or your family are in this position, we're doing this for you as well. You know, mm-hmm. 250000 just doesn't cut it. And then there's no reason for an entity like SEPTA to be any safer when they don't really face the consequences yeah. of their actions. Mm-hmm. That's the whole point of the civil justice system. We change how we behave because we're f- afraid of having to face the financial consequences of acting poorly. Well, sounds like they got good rationale to come up now. Folks have good reason, good defense now. I've never seen SEPTA go through this type of run of accidents. Yeah, well, there you go. Who's next, Dean? I I got callers, and I'm going to take one of the callers, but I I am going to slide back to Ken in a second to find out what the process is. You know, lay out the process for us, and I'll give you a moment to think about that. From the time you get a call, maybe probably mostly from a family member, that somebody got locked up and they're – they're in this district. They're that you know. You know that they were arrested in this district. What happens? Ken gets on his on his uh, high horse, and w- what happens at that point? All right, let's uh, pick up line one. Line one. We got Joe from South Philly. Yo, Joe. Oh, Joe, you know Yo, my Joey. man. Hey, Joey. <laughs> How you been? Where you been? My hey, guy. <laughs> He's always there, just never doesn't always call. He. He's actually a good guest. I mean, a good he, caller he because always, yeah. always. You know, he's, he's a listener, but he doesn't, you know, he doesn't take over the show. Hey, and Joey. He's, he's not boring yeah. at all. Never. <laughs> Never hey, Joe, boring. I heard some things. I heard some things, Joe. Uh, what'd you hear, man? What's going on? That uh, you taking care of business out there in the neighborhoods. Uh, you, you bet. I'm trying to. <laughs> That's what I hear. Not. Nobody else is doing their job around here, so yeah. Maybe when we get you the new, I mean? maybe when we get the new administration, hopefully, hopefully, we, we could only. Nobody does their job. Nobody does their job. It's a shame. What's it's going really on, is. Joe? What brings you to the show today? Uh, well, just talk, well, what you're talking about with the with the uh, lawyers and the feds and all that stuff. Yeah, you know, I feel sorry for the lawyers that have to get involved in a federal trial. I mean, I really do. Of course, the feds, they, whatever they do, I mean, I know a million people who's, who's yeah. you know, in jail yeah. and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. And th- you just can't win with them. They, they change the laws as you go. Well, Joe, don't feel sorry for us. We're here to advocate and, and represent people, so don't feel sorry for us. No, no, feel- no I feel sorry because if you have to go into court like that with them, they, they just change the laws <laughs> I mean, they, to, to, win the, to win the case. They, I mean, that's what they, they don't. Do. They don't get to change the laws as we're standing there in the courtroom. Um, and obviously, the federal risk, the federal trials are much more difficult. Um, yes, very. But, but we can get in there and we can win. People don't call me because I, I go out and play golf with the judges or went to law right, school right. And, and play quizzle with, they, the, yeah. with the DAs right. and AUSAs. With, they call me because I get. Yeah. Be, they call me because I walk into the courtroom and I get busy. And you've been yeah. in both. You've been in both. You, you've, I've been in both. You've been in federal court, uh, you know, having your stint in the Federal uh, Defenders Association. You've been in state court. You know the players. How important is it to have the respect of your opponents under those circumstances? You have to have your respect. But you get your respect not because they know you and not because you're their buddy. They get your respect because of what you do before you get to the courtroom and what you get in the courtroom. They know that they have to cross their T's and dot their I's. They know that they have to make sure their law enforcement representatives did what it is they were supposed to do uh, because they know you're looking. They know you know the law, and they know 
they know that you know your way around the courtroom. Have there been circumstances in your career where they did not turn over the evidence they needed to turn over intentionally? That re- that rarely happens in the federal court. I will say that it is much more prevalent in the state court, uh, unfortunately. And uh, what happens when that happens? If we ever find out, there's hell to pay. Hmm. Um, that is a violation of what's known as Brady. That's called a Brady violation. If they have evidence, they know about evidence, evidence is in control of the Commonwealth, and that's not just the district attorney. That's not just the officer. And uh, the appellate courts are really hard on that, right? Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You have to play above board. <laughs> I, I know it seems like the goal of the district attorney's office uh, or the U.S. attorney's office is to get convictions. But in all reality, it's to seek justice. It's to make sure justice is done. And so, therefore, if you have information that my client didn't do it or my client was somewhere else or somebody else may have done it, it is your responsibility, and the court recognizes recognizes that and have passed laws to that effect that you have to let defense counsel know. Joe? Joe? Yes, sir. Um, how are you? How's the family? Good. They're doing good. Thank you. How, how's everybody with you guys? We're good. But your health is good? Yes, it is. How am I hanging in there? Yeah, yeah. He's still, uh, kick, he's still kicking like Bruce Lee. I'm kicking, baby. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, tell everybody we send our regards, Joe. Thanks for giving us a call today. Joe, I appreciate You're your welcome, call buddy. and your question. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, man. Well, see you later, pal. You too, buddy. Take care. Um, line three, Tim from North Philly. Hey, Tim, welcome to court radio. Yeah, I got a question. Yep. I wanted to know how you go about, uh, uh, going about getting rid of your, uh, I'm TIN, I'm TIN from North Philly. Yeah, I know you are, Tim. Yeah, I want to know how you go about sponging your case expunging your case. All right, we got to the question. How do you expunge your case, Ken? So, Tim, part of the biggest question is going to be what kind of case it was, what is the conviction? In in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, most felonies, if not all felonies, you cannot get expunged. The vast majority of misdemeanor convictions cannot be expunged. Uh, and so the question is going to be what conviction that you have, how old is it, um, because that informs us as to what we are able to do. A lot of times what we have to do is actually apply for a governor's pardon, and that is a whole separate process where we gather your information, gather mitigation uh, information about you, talk about how you've changed and what productive you are doing in the community since that conviction and why this conviction is holding you back and preventing you from being even more productive and more valuable as a citizen. Uh, then we prepare a packet, and we and we submit that to the governor's office. I tell people right up front that is a much longer process. That is a much more involved process. It's typically taking 18 to 24 months before they even start to review it. Um, and, you know, a lot of times they decide it right on the papers, on the brief that we submitted, on the packet that we submitted. But sometimes there, there's a need for a hearing. Um, but, again, a lot of the determining factor is what it is you were convicted of. Unfortunately, in Pennsylvania, the easiest things to get expunged are summary offenses and or um, just the mere fact that you have been arrested because those stay on your record. And a lot of people don't notice. They go for a job. They were arrested. They were found not guilty. Your charges were dropped. 
but it, it doesn't disappear. And they go for a job. Somebody runs a background check or they apply for insurance or they try to buy a house or they try to get health insurance. And this pops up even though it's just an arrest. So I would suggest it is as important, if not more important, to make sure you don't have just non-existent convictions that are still on your record uh, because those can be expunged. So, again, most felonies, no, all felonies and most misdemeanors, especially misdemeanors of violence, are not expungable currently. And that's the important thing because one of the one of the things that the the uh, legislature has begun to do is criminal justice reform and the expungements that can occur today that were not able to occur a mere few years ago are because of that and they are expanding it or trying to expand it all the time so that's worth a circle back uh, you know every uh, every year, I would say, because new legislature is always coming up, which is attempting to expand that which is expungible. And, and Dean, it's important to note uh, and to give a shout out to the Defender Association because they are leading that charge. They have always been leading that charge. They are responsible for the majority um, of the changes in the law that benefit the citizen. All right, T.I.M. from North Philly, thanks for being a part of the show today. Have a great Saturday. One more question. Yes. Hello? Yes. Yeah, by, by it being non-violent, you can't get expunged? A, no. a, a felony, a non-violent felony cannot be expunged currently. I think there's, there's one minor exception if you're over 70 and haven't had any other convictions for like 20 years or something, you know, astronomical like that. But as a general principle, no, felonies cannot be expunged. All right. There you go, Tim. Um, all right, tell us. Give, I'm going to give you like three minutes. What's the process? I call you. Um, my kid's in, arrested. I don't know what's going on. Um, and I, I, no, I don't know what's going on, but here is where he is. That's the last I heard. What, what, what are you going to do? So, and I'm going to even take it one step. I'm going to take it back a step uh, because a lot of times we get calls from people who say, look, I hear the police are looking for me or I'm afraid charges may be brought. Mm -hmm. um, and then we can get involved at that point, and that's what's called a pre-charge representation, where we serve as your advocate, we reach out to law enforcement, we reach out to district attorney's office and try to prevent you from getting charged. In the event that you do get charged or you're trying to find your loved one, obviously you've been arrested, you will then have to get processed. Mugshot, fingerprints, biographical information. Again, it's important. Name, date of birth, address. I don't have anything else to say. Call Ken. Shut up. Don't post it. Right? You don't know their level of experience. You don't know their training. They're not there to help you. They're, here, they're there to investigate a crime. All of their questions, all of the information that they are trying to get from you out of the basic biographical information is to help them prove their case. You're not going to outsmart them. They've been doing this too long. They know the tricks. They have the training. You then go what's known as a preliminary arraignment where you go before a commissioner because it's time for you to get bail, right? So it's an important to have an advocate there with you, either on the phone or in person, so you can have them speak to the commissioner to explain why your bail should not be ridiculous uh, because you want to be able to make bail so you can get out of jail. If you can't make bail, you are sitting in jail until the resolution of your case. 
after the preliminary arraignment you have, if it's a felony, what's known as a preliminary hearing. Preliminary hearing is where the Commonwealth has to establish to a judge that there is enough for the case to move forward. It's not guilty or innocent, so you're not putting on any evidence. You standing up and hollering, I didn't do this, doesn't matter there. The only question is, Commonwealth, do you have enough that a crime was most likely committed and this person is most likely the person that did it? Uh, But you need an advocate there because we can get charges thrown out, we can get whole cases thrown out, but we can also evaluate the case, we can hear what the evidence is, we can listen to what the witnesses are saying, and we can therefore evaluate if there are any pretrial motions, motions to suppress, and trial strategies. And um, and so all of that occurs before you really get into the meat of the case. Before you're ready to go to trial, before you start getting discovery, which is the police documents, and before you're figuring out whether it's a judge or a jury trial. Absolutely. Folks, we're, sh- we're sharing some information with Ken Edelin, who does criminal defense throughout this area. Um, but we're going to be back in two minutes right after this quick break. I'm Dean Weitzman. If you have a history of using chemical hair straighteners and have been diagnosed with uterine or endometrial cancer, call My Philly Lawyer now at 215-227-2727. Frequent use of chemical hair relaxers can double the risk of uterine and endometrial cancer. If you've been affected, we will fight for you. Call 215-227-2727. My Philly Lawyer, when winning matters most. When we say winning matters most, we mean it. My Philly Lawyer just helped secure an $80 million victory for a client suffering from a defective medical product. Whether it's a motor vehicle, workplace, or medical malpractice injury, My Philly Lawyer gets results. If you've been injured and want aggressive, thoughtful, thorough representation, call My Philly Lawyer first. Philly's legal champions, 215-227-2727. My Philly Lawyer, when winning matters most. I grew up here, went to school here, raised my kids here. I know Philly, and Philly knows me. I started My Philly Lawyer because if you've been injured, your lawyer matters, and choosing someone local matters. It matters to the insurance company, it matters to the jury, and most importantly, your lawyer matters when it comes to getting results. If you've been injured, call us now, 215-227-2727. My Philly Lawyer, when winning matters most. I'm Dean Weitzman. If you have a history of using chemical hair straighteners and have been diagnosed with uterine or endometrial cancer, call My Philly Lawyer now at 215-227-2727. Frequent use of chemical hair relaxers can double the risk of uterine and endometrial cancer. If you've been affected, we will fight for you. Call 215-227-2727. My Philly Lawyer, when winning matters most. Need more legal answers? Here's more Court Radio with your host, Dean Weitzman. Ooh, I like that. I like that lineup. Yeah. Welcome back, folks. I'm Dean Weitzman, your host of Court Radio every Saturday morning right here on 100.3 WRMB. And Classics 107.9. What was that? Whoa, hot mic. Um, we're in the studio with my friend Ken Edelin, who um, has spent his career 
um, defending folks who have been accused of crimes. Yeah, and um, I, uh, I want to know, we were talking about what happens with a case from beginning to end. When do you get retained? Um, do you ever get retained when somebody moves from the defender's office to private counsel? Yes, we get those often. We get that frequently. Um, and, and most of the times it is not because the defender um, is unable to do the job. It is because the way the system is worked up and the volume of cases that the defender has, by the time you get to trial, unfortunately, you have probably been represented by three, four, five different attorneys. And that's just because of the nature of the system. And that gets frustrating that you don't have the continuity. You don't feel like your version, your story is being heard. You don't feel like you're being represented right? Um, to the best that you could be. Uh, again, it doesn't speak to the skill level. It just speaks to the volume, the number of people that are, that are coming through the system and, and the way it has to be set up. Well, that brings us to line one, Adrian. Good morning. Welcome to Court Radio. Good morning. What's Good morning. your question for Ken? Shut your radio down. Yes, Ken. I do. Shut your radio down. Okay. Yes, I do. Uh, I my son is in trouble. I I um I retained a lawyer, uh, and it was in the state court at that time. Uh, Feds picked it up, and they we um they they appointed my lawyer as his lawyer in the federal court. My question is, is he still working for me or is he working for the feds? Obviously, I don't know who your attorney is. My answer is he is absolutely and working for you. He's not even here in Philadelphia. Okay, but the, the answer is he's absolutely working for you. The way the federal court works is that there is a federal public defender's office. But if that office has a conflict and for some reason can't represent the person, then they go to what's called the CJA, the Criminal Justice Act list. And they have a list of attorneys who have been qualified, who have been vetted um, based on their experience level and based on their acumen and based on their abilities, and they get on that list as conflict counsel. And then so the courts, the judges can then appoint somebody from that list, most often if the public defender's office has a conflict, but in cases which it sounds like yours is, if there was representation at the state level uh, to continue that representation, to establish that continuity, they can appoint that person. Um, so the, the CJA list is, is based on your experience level and your abilities. So I would suggest you should be able to feel comfortable with that attorney. Okay. Thank you, Adrian. Thank you. Is, would there be any way I could have a consultation with Mr. Needleson? Because I have questions. Yes, and, ma'am. And it's Just, not for a radio. Yes, yeah. ma'am. Um, you, I'll tell you what, Adrian. You send me an email uh, the, uh, to dean at my Philly lawyer, uh, or you call 215-227-2727, and we will make sure that we get your information to Ken immediately. I look forward to speaking to you. Thank you so much. Good luck, Adrian. Good luck to you. Um, you hear those a lot, don't you? Line My four. Son is in trouble. Yep. Line four, Norma. Hey, Norma, welcome to Court Radio. Well, thank you, sir. I've been listening to you for a while, and I'm calling to ask if I you could give me some information. 
It happened, I had a procedure, they found a mass on my right lung, and I had a procedure in 21, and now I have a certain side effects, as you would say, in my right hand, my right fingers, uh, their numbness, so I was wondering, can you give me some information? Do I have a case? If not, then I'll have to deal with this condition. All right, well... All right, so let, let me unpack this. Uh, we don't have a lot of time, and I want you to understand some of the elements. Number one, you said you had a procedure in 21, and you be, and what you didn't tell me is when the, the numbness and tingling in your fingers began. But let's, let, let's presume it began close to the time of your procedure, that there was something done in the procedure uh, where they damaged a nerve, so you began to experience within a month or two of the procedure, you began to experience these symptoms. I will tell you that your two-year statute of limitations begins to run when you knew or should have known, knew or should have known, that there were symptoms that emanated from the procedure. So let's just say you had that procedure done in March of 2021 uh, and that the symptoms began to, you began to experience them, let's say, in April or May of 21. Then by April or May of 23, your two-year statute of limitations has run and you probably don't have a claim any longer. So that's the important thing. When did those symptoms begin and then start counting forward two years and if you're beyond the two-year statute, you're going to have an issue with the statute of limitations. The other thing is we're not certain, and a lot of times, you know, people just make the connection between, hey, I'm getting this symptom. It has started around the time of a procedure. It must be connected. Well, that may be the case, but then again, it may not be. And we would retain experts to look at your medical records, to look at your condition, and to be able to tell us with, with certainty um, that the condition you're experiencing emanates from negligence, from a breach of the standard of care that occurred during the procedure. That connection has to be made by an expert who is similarly situated to the expert you use. So if you used a, a oncology surgeon, then we would hire an oncology surgeon to do the review of the records and to make that connection. The more time you give the attorney, the better off you are. And so you're looking at something that's almost two years old. It's probably going to be very difficult to put that together at this point. For more details, Norma, please send me an email, dean at myphillylawyer.com. My team will get back to you. They'll evaluate the situation. They'll get more facts than you can give me over the radio, and we'll get back to you immediately. Folks, we're almost out of time. Ken Edelin, thank you so much for sharing your insight today. Listen, folks, if you need to reach Ken, and he's a fabulous defense attorney um, and really has worked on both sides of, you know, both state and federal. Reach out to me at Dean at My Philly Lawyer. I'll put you in touch with Ken and he'll take off from there. Thank you, sir. Preceding was a paid program of myphillylawyer.com. Live from the